A GM would rather have extra first round picks than have sex. No doubt. This is the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. Hi, all, and welcome back to the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Happy you're joining us again this week on our podcast. We're going to have some some weird fun today because one of our guests is uh, an insane person. He's a uh, a world record, a Guinness Book of World Record holder for eating literally the world's hottest pepper. And, and I'm going to describe later exactly how hot this pepper is. And he tells you what it's like to eat it. He, he's a guy named Mike Jack. This dude eats the hottest peppers in the world like Skittles. Yes. We also have on um, uh, Jeremy Taché, who some of you know, uh, particularly some of you in South Florida know. He's the digital um, host for Bally Sports Florida, formerly Fox Sports Florida. He's a Heat and Marlins expert, and it's a good week to have him on because the Heat had a big week um, on the trade deadline, and, and it's Marlins opening week and all that stuff. Matter of fact, it, it, it's been a huge week for sports in general. Sports! The Dolphins. Yes, the the Dolphins made a couple of uh, draft related trades and uh, and just did great. I mean, they basically what they did was they traded down barely from number three to number six, and ended up gaining a third round pick this year and a first round pick in twenty twenty three. Just who to had, move down three spots, they picked up a first round pick. Brilliant. Who had a better week, the Heat or the Dolphins? Because the Heat traded wow. for Victor Oladipo, gave up peanuts. Yes. I mean, they gave up Kelly Olynyk essentially, and Avery Bradley for an all-star, a potential all-star. Gave up nothing. And right. the Dolphins, like you just said, took whatever. Like, it's pretty – like, you, you you don't see anyone saying the Dolphins didn't crush that deal. Oh, they did. Like, it was so, a brilliant so you, move. So by... is it the Dolphins? Like, I feel like the Heat have is that Victor Oladipo is a proven thing. These draft yeah. picks, we don't know what they're going to do with those picks. I'm going to pick the Dolphins in, in a very narrow victory. But I think both teams did great, and it's opening week for the Marlins. I mean, it's just exciting people, down here. But People love a first-round pick in football, don't they? Like, oh, man, yeah. if you can get yourself an additional first-round pick, that is... A GM would rather have extra first-round picks than have sex. No doubt. I wonder if we could get a GM to admit that. <laughs> Clearly the truth. Uh, but before we get to uh, more sports talk with Jeremy Tache and to our insane pepper eater, I do want to... Um, speak about the the passing of the great Howard Schnellenberger, the coach, football coach. And um, what a life Howard Schnellenberger led. He passed away Saturday at age 87. And this man, I mean, if I go in some sort of chronology, he worked with Bear Bryant at Alabama. Howard was the guy who recruited a guy named Joe Namath. That was Howard Schnellenberger. He was the offensive coordinator under Don Shula, for the Dolphins' perfect season in 1972. He brought UM football, the Miami Hurricanes, their first national championship in 1983, which led to a dynasty of four more championships over the next 18 years. And by the way, he saved the Hurricanes football program. When, when he came to Miami in 1979, the Board of Trustees uh, was weighing whether or not to abolish football which had spun wheels and gone nowhere and wasn't making money. Howard Schnellenberger quite literally saved UM football. In fact, uh, the morning of his passing, the UM football program tweeted out, without Howard Schnellenberger, there is no Miami football. And that may have sounded like hyperbole, but it, it quite literally was true. 
he did the same at Louisville. The Louisville Cardinals football program was floundering, and he saved that program. He brought it back to life, turned it into a winner, left Louisville with an an on-campus stadium. And then late in his career, he took on the task of, of starting from scratch FAU's football program, Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, where he lived and died. Howard created that program from nothing. And so what this man did was be an architect and a towering figure at not one or two, but three different college campuses. I unsuccessfully lobbied for years for Howard Schnellenberger to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. It's a great sorrow of mine that that never happened. And I know how much it meant to Howard. He would have loved that to happen. And the the last column I wrote on that, I even referenced, let's not make this a posthumous honor. Let's do this during his lifetime. And oh, I wish they had done that because Howard richly deserved to be in the Hall of Fame after the career he's had. The Hall of Fame, unfortunately, has this silly, arbitrary rule that you have to have a certain one loss percentage to be considered for the Hall of Fame, which is insane because what Howard did was he took over losing programs and turned them into winners. And and that takes a while. That doesn't happen instantly. He made UM, Louisville, and FAU a winning program from nothing. And so what a great life he led. And um, we're happy to, to honor that now. I mean, just a South Florida sports legend, right? I mean, hell of a voice, Howard Schnellenberger, too, man. Like, that dude just... Oh, my God. Like, if that guy was on the... If that guy was speaking, I was like, that's Howard Schnellenberger. That, that yes. is a distinct, deep bravado. Yes. A, a basso profundo, uh, sort of a mumble, but uh, it, it resonated. It, like, shook the earth. That guy, it, was, it was the voice of God, really, is, is exactly what Howard was. I knew him pretty well. Was he friendly? Yeah, you know, he was he was an intimidating character, uh, big physically, you know, the, the big push broom mustache. And um, people mistook that uh, that he didn't have a great sense of humor because his persona was uh, being very gruff. But I found him to be pretty funny. You know, there was always a, a little twinkle in his eye and you could always see the, the hint of a smile underneath that big mustache. And uh, I enjoyed his company very much. And um, South Florida sports uh truly a legend and you know we lost don shula less than a year ago and uh i i would put those two uh pretty much on the same plane just great influential all-time figures in uh in miami sports so from that we're going to move on to some fun stuff because you're going to want to listen to this <laughs> this guy's insane he, he has to be insane uh his name is mike jack he eats peppers that would have the rest of us vomiting into a bucket on the way to the emergency room. Here's Mike Jack. We're really happy to be joined today by Mike Jack, who is a professional eater, a speed eater. He specializes in um, in hot stuff. In fact, his uh, handle on Facebook is uh, Mike Jack Eats Heat. And man, he does. And we're going to get into all that. Mike, uh, thanks for joining us on the pod today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a real honor to be here. Now, here, here's how uh, you can... Is, my... is it actually an honor to be here? Or do you just say that at all interviews? Because I, I, I know me and him and it's it's not that great. <laughs> to, uh, to be totally honest, that's the that's the first time that I've said that in an interview. Oh, so, wow. Oh, <laughs> honor. Yeah, you guys are... That? Yeah, 
Yeah, I've listened hey. to a few of your podcasts, and uh, yeah, you're a pretty awesome show, guys. Awesome, thank All you. All right, well, we're, we're honored. And I want to give people a perspective on the, the degree of heat that this guy takes into his body. There's something called a Scoville heat unit, which measures the heat of stuff. And a jalapeno pepper is anywhere from 2,500 to 8,000 Scoville units. This guy, our guest today, just set a Guinness Book of World Records for consuming the world's uh, hottest red chili pepper called the Carolina Reaper, okay? And the Scoville heat unit of what you ate was roughly 1.7 million Scoville units. Yeah, that's about right. That's the, uh, that's the average Carolina Reaper pepper. Uh, they're usually between like uh, 1.5 million to, uh, to 2.2 million. Okay, so the, the three, and I saw the video of what you consumed. You ate three. To me, they looked like roughly golf ball-sized red peppers, and, and so they could have been 2 million Scoville units, uh, right? I mean, they may have been even more than what I stated. It was really hot. It was really <laughs> hot. The world's hottest peppers, according to Guinness World Records. Right. Now, this is obviously an, an audio medium, so I want you to be as descriptive as you can in what it was like to consume those three peppers. Well, how it feels for me and how it feels for most people are kind of two different things, right? Um, uh, I didn't just start doing this yesterday. I worked my way up. Uh, I've been eating uh, spicy stuff like this for maybe about, I guess, about 15 years, I guess. I've been working my way up to doing stuff like this. So I've built up a bit of a tolerance to the peppers. Um, most people, if you take uh, just the smallest bite or even just, just a lick of one of the inside of one of these peppers, uh, it's going to hurt a lot. You're not going to, you're not going to want to eat any more of it for sure. Uh, a lot of people are, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be crying. You're going to be on the floor basically. That's me. If I get one of those seeds in a regular jalapeno. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For me, um, cause I ate them so fast. Like I, I did the record in, uh, uh, like 9.7 seconds. Um, I actually didn't really even feel the heat of the peppers until after it was done. And then, uh, then yeah, it just kind of, kind of hits you like a, like a punch in the face, I guess. Just start, uh, start crying. I could feel, uh, you know, my nose running, drool, sweats, and then, uh, yeah, obviously the heat on your tongue. But the, uh, the worst part of it doesn't come for me until about like maybe an hour later in your guts, where you get something that, uh, you know, pepper eaters call the capsaicin cramps or like the cap cramps. Oh man. It's a, it's a bad feeling. Like it basically feels like, I say it feels like somebody just like reached into your, into your guts, this grabs onto your intestines, gives them a squeeze and a twist. It's uh it's pretty painful stuff. I have to ask. And then on the way out, like, how are we doing? On the way out, to be totally honest, uh, I, uh, I'm immune to the burn, butt. so if I the wasn't, butt. I, if I wasn't, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Uh, but yeah, I, I've heard people talk about a, a mutated gene that some people have. So I think that I'm, I'm kind of a mutant, like an X-Men or something. So it just flows like wine for you out. <laughs> it just, it's just, it's just like normal. It's <laughs> like nothing. I don't know. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go there, but yeah. Just... That, that's a natural question. And, and I think this is a natural question too, because I worry for you, Mike Jack. Uh, yeah. I'm concerned that your doctor uh, doesn't think what you're doing is entirely healthy. I'm not, I'm not, never really talked to my doctor about it, but, um, you know, in all the research and stuff I've done, it's, uh, it's more healthy than people think. Like people think the pepper itself is like, is, is hot. It's like some chemical is burning through your 
intestines. It's going to like mess up my stomach or my throat or something like that. But really all it is, it's a, a chemical reaction with your pain receptors and, and your brain. It's like a, a defense mechanism to the pepper. Like it doesn't want you to, to eat it. Uh, the, pe- the pepper wants to be eaten by birds actually, because birds don't, don't feel this. And wait, would, the pepper has thoughts. I don't know if it has thoughts, but just, <laughs> just naturally, right? Like I know, I'm kidding. birds, birds will eat the pepper and then they'll, they'll poop out the seeds. Like, you know, and birds obviously fly like great distances. They spread the seeds all over. Right. So it's kind of a thing for the pepper. It doesn't want, uh, doesn't want people to eat them or, uh, you know, other, uh, other mammals, stuff like that. It's a, uh, it's a uh, food for birds, I guess they're fruit. So it doesn't actually burn. Like if you think about it, when you, when you hold a hot pepper in your hand, it doesn't, it doesn't burn your hand. Uh, like there's no burn marks on my tongue or inside of my mouth or anything, stuff you can see. So it's not actually burning inside your stomach. It's just, it's just a feeling, uh, you know, it's reacting with your pain receptors and making, giving you pain and heat. Mike, you, you appear to be an otherwise normal person. Uh, you look like a regular guy. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> By the way, I, I want to jump in real fast. I love you, Greg Cody, throwing stones about like what your doctor's saying. What does the <laughs> doctor say about the seven Miller lights you kill every night? Well, that 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 may be true, <laughs> but uh, you know, I we I all have, have our vice. Years. We all have our vice. Am I right, Mike? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Uh, I, yeah, I actually I don't drink. I uh, I don't I don't eat meat, so. You know, I, I lead a pretty healthy lifestyle otherwise. So. Yeah, wow, right. See, look at, see, you were saying that Mike's doctor was probably worried about him. Mike's doctor is probably just fine with Mike. Okay, but what, what I'm saying is uh, my beer consumption has not yet set a Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> right, uh, that's true. That, that's all I'm saying. Now, um, what, what was the one thing that, that blew you up that, like, made you say, you know what? If I, like, make a YouTube channel, like, I could actually turn this into something. Um, I had like a, like I had one video that is blown up. Uh, it has nearly 2 million views, I guess. Uh, it was actually for, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, the, uh, the Pocky one chip challenge. Uh, actually my, my headband I'm wearing it. right now. I've done it. You've done no, that. Yeah. No big deal. So, uh, I've, I've done a, a couple videos with that right now. So, uh, the, the first one I did, um, a couple years ago, that's the one that has, uh, almost 2 million views now. I ate, uh, I ate 22 of those chips. In uh, in one video, I ate like a th- two thirds of one. Yeah, that's how that's how most people are. Yeah, it's tough getting through one chip. I ate twenty two, and then uh, my video this year that uh, hasn't quite blown up yet as much, but hopefully soon. I ate a uh, fifty four pack Pocky one chip challenges. Let's go, Greg Cody show audience. Let's get that that video going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give sure. give it a watch. Uh, Mike Jack eats heat on uh, YouTube. So yeah, I have um you know I also have the the four Guinness World Records for eating uh hot peppers. So uh, I have three for ghost peppers. Uh, fastest time to eat three ghost peppers. Most ghost peppers eaten in a minute. Most ghost peppers eaten in two minutes. And then uh, the new one you mentioned, uh, fastest time to eat three Carolina Reaper peppers. There is a Guinness World Record. I'm going to try to attempt uh, probably after uh, you know everything calms down with the COVID-19 for uh, most Carolina Reaper peppers eaten in one minute. Hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a record for that right now. Wow. And uh, I'm thinking I'm I'm I think I could beat it. So I'd like to attempt that one. They also uh, Guinness World Records. All their stuff is uh, is is pretty small. Like you know, fast time to eat three, most in like a minute. Um, they don't do things with like uh, you know large uh, yeah. timelines or large quantities because of safety and stuff. But right, uh, right. safety aside, usually once a year I try to see how many Carolina Reaper peppers I can I can eat, just uh, not timed or anything, just in a sitting. And uh, the last one I did, I ate uh, 56 Carolina Reapers. 
So uh, that's my that's my personal best sh- so far. Now you're just showing off, Mike. I'm just showing off a little bit, but wow, yeah. So that's something you know Guinness won't uh, keep a record for that. It's in the Greg Cody re- show record book. I'll tell you that much, Mike. Right. All right, awesome. Thanks. I can't wait yeah, for my certificate. No. And, and <laughs> yeah, don't get crazy. We're we're um when you find yourself thirsty, your throat's a little parched. Do you drink a, a bottle of Tabasco sauce? <laughs> uh. Yeah, sometimes if I if I'm a little parched, I guess. All of your uh, competitive eating is uh, heat involved, or do you ever eat anything? Go for records, you know, not some involved. like buttered toast. Actually, to be honest, uh, this is kind of breaking news. Um, my specialty is heat. I'm starting to work towards uh, breaking some more Guinness work records uh, for eating that aren't uh, based around heat. I was talking to them, and uh, they suggested that we set up a thing where I beat some of these speed records, and then they they would promote me as the uh, world's greatest vegan speed eater, which wow. kind of sounds weird, right? So I've actually I've beaten two uh, Guinness records that they aren't officially yet. They're with Guinness right now. They're you know uh, adjudicating being certified, the, the, being certified, yeah. And uh, yeah, I beat them a couple weeks ago. So hopefully, they'll what have are them they? All. Can you say? I can. Yeah, I'll tell you. Oh, There's wow. uh, uh, one of them is uh, fastest time to eat a head of lettuce. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. I mean, it's quite an accomplishment. I'm just, I didn't expect that. And the, the other record that I broke that's with uh, Guinness right now, it's uh, fastest time to eat a banana without using your hands. Hmm. So I had to I had to peel and eat a banana without hmm. using my hands. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hot. <laughs> wow. Now, do you just eat these hot chilies or do you are you just a fan of spicy food in general so you put hot sauce on a lot of just like your everyday life? Yeah, yeah. I eat hot I eat hot sauce stuff every day. Like when I started eating hot stuff, like I didn't start as a kid or anything. My parents weren't really into anything hot. We didn't have hot sauce in the fridge and that. It kind of started in uh, college and like a lot of things in college, it kind of starts off as a dare, right? So, uh, you know, I had roommates, they were into, you know, just your basic hot sauces, like, you know, Frank's Red Hot, Sriracha, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like, oh, what's the matter, Mike, you don't want any hot sauce on your pizza? Are you are you a wuss or something? <laughs> so, uh, you know, so yeah, I tried a little bit, and I ended up liking it. And I, I just used more and more. Um, I started liking it more than ate it. Uh, but yeah, when I started, um, I thought Frank's was crazy. I thought Frank's was crazy yeah. hot. Sriracha, like uh, if I went to the movie theater and got, you know, the pickled jalapenos, I thought those were hot. But after a while, you just you you start getting a tolerance to it, right? So it's I like would anything. put more and more yeah. on my food, and eventually there'd be more hot sauce on my food than food. What's the weirdest item of like regular food that you put hot sauce on? <laughs> Some people say I put hot sauce in everything except for cereal. And I don't know if you count uh, oatmeal as a cereal, but I like putting hot sauce on oatmeal. Okay. Sometimes you can get like a like a, a fruit-based hot sauce, right? Like one that's, uh, you know, like a pineapple hot sauce or like a blueberry hot sauce. And yeah, I like putting I like putting hot sauce like that on uh, oatmeal or wow. even on like pancakes or waffles. Oh, no. Yeah, for sure. You get With some syrup. Yeah, well, or or instead of syrup, sometimes oh, you get like come a, on, a Mike. Bl- yeah, a blueberry hot sauce. Like, why not? You know, you put blueberries, blueberry syrup. People like right, a blueberry hot sauce. I'm telling you. Wow. Um, another one of my favorite snacks is uh, like I'll have a, a peanut butter toast with hot sauce on it, or uh, <laughs> or sometimes popcorn and hot sauce too. Is another that one. that I can that I can kind of get. I can get peanut butter that. toast and hot sauce. Yeah, 
It's the new. It's the new PB and J. The the PB and HS. Uh, Mike, Jack, uh, you are genuinely a strange man. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's that's such a rude thing to say. No, no it's I, true I, though, right? I mean it as a compliment. I mean, thanks. Yeah. All right. Now that I feel like we're friends now, the three of us old friends um yeah, I, we sure. have to ask it this is a question i didn't want to ask my dad made me he said at the beginning of this you have to ask him this right. has this hot sauce ever made its way into the bedroom what uh, <laughs> well uh not on purpose <laughs> <laughs> that, that guy is insane uh happily so and I can't believe you asked him that last question. We tried to go out with a bang. What can I say? <laughs> Whoa! And we did. And now... I mean, I mean, um, honestly, though, is it a bad question? I feel like he lied. I feel like Mike Jack was doing a little damage control and didn't want to get too detailed about his personal life. And then I feel like he... I saw his face there, and I feel like the truth was a little different than the answer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we should have had uh, Mrs. Hot Pepper on and uh, gotten her version of that. But um, from the insane pepper eater, we go to Jeremy Taché. Jeremy Dashe, I do not imagine, is a pepper eater. Like the, he no. just seems like a mild to medium wings kind of guy. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, he uh, he doesn't even eat jalapeno peppers. This guy, he's Jeremy like me. Tache. He orders his nachos. He's like, put the jalapenos on his side, but I'm not even going to eat them. I'm just going to put them on the side just so I seem like I want them. Zagaki, let's welcome in first time podcast guest Jeremy Tashe. Sports. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Greg. Nice to formally uh meet you through zoom here it's always weird to um having not met somebody to see them in zoom and and like are we meeting is right? this really a meeting this counts or... as a meeting i think this counts as a meeting I, zoom i think this does at least it's an right. actual conversation as opposed to like email exchange doesn't count a twitter dm doesn't count yeah and especially like... there's been people that uh i've interacted with like in chat on zoom during press conferences who i've met <laughs> via Twitter, but still haven't met in person, and, and that also, to me, doesn't count. Does a phone call count? I'll take a phone call. Yeah. I think so. At yeah. this point. At this point in society. <laughs> yes, you're right. A couple years ago, a phone call wouldn't have counted. Um, now it counts. Yeah, five years ago, that's a different story. Before, I, w- I, wanna ha- I wanted to ha- give my dad the test of trying to announce all the responsibilities you have and all the <laughs> things you do, but I, it, that would take forever, so I feel like the most efficient way to do it is for you to kind of tell the audience what you do for like in the local South Florida sports market. Sure. So uh, I was hired a couple months ago as the South Florida digital host and reporter um, for Fox Sports Florida, which is rebranding to Bally Sports Florida um, and Bally Sports Sun. And so my responsibility is to cover the Panthers, the Marlins, and the Heat for... There's Greg Cody's <laughs> dog. Sorry Perfect. for that. There you go. Perfect. No, it's it's the right it's the right way to get this started. Now I feel now I feel welcome. Uh, the, the, uh, so I cover the Panthers, the Marlins, and the Heat for Fox Sports Florida, and then on top of that, um, for the last couple of years, I've also been the co-host and producer of Swings and Mishes, which is a Miami Marlins podcast co-hosted or really hosted by Craig Mish. And on top of that, he is the foremost aficionado on Schitt's Creek. That's another thing oh, he has man. on his oh. resume. What a wonderful I mean, compliment! Listen. Schitt's Creek is, is one of my all-time favorite shows, uh, one of the all-time great ensemble casts of, of any, I don't even know if I'd call it, it's a comedy, mm-hmm. first and foremost, but it's, it's more than that. The writing is so great. 
I could speak for an. I could do an hour podcast every week. On Go Church ahead, Street. do it. We should just not talk. We should just not talk about <laughs> sports. I'm. I, I want you guys to know. Again, this is not a visual medium, so it doesn't help the audience. But I'm literally wearing a Shit's Creek shirt as we speak. <laughs> so the the not irony. Planned. I had no idea, Greg, that that you like Shit's Creek as well. So I'm oh. very excited to hear that. Yeah, it's one of the best ensemble casts ever. Like one of. I, I was it, actually just saying to my dad because, like, in you know, in our extensive interview prep, I mentioned to him that you're a shit screwed guy. So we kind of just got onto a little side conversation. I was looking at the cast. I could make the argument because, like, Seinfeld, a great show. Mm-hmm. But if you say who's the best character on that show, there's what like three characters you could maybe say is the best character on that show. Sure. Shit's Creek. I could literally make the argument for like eight characters there's, being the best character. There's on the it's show. a really deep cast, but it's also like if you take those four, like the main four, you know, Johnny and Moira, and then Alexis and David, and just them. That's forgetting Ted or you know Patrick or anybody else. Right. If you just took those four, I'd put those four as a core four in a comedy up with any comedy of all time, like any sitcom. Right. I I was just saying to my dad that I think Johnny mm-hmm. Eugene Levy's character is the fourth, in my opinion, of those characters, and he's a yeah. great character. Like, but I to me, he's clearly fourth. And but and then but it's just crazy because he's, he's such just a great the glue character that holds it all together. Ah, oh, it's, it's it's a perfectly written show. He it's, is. My favorite char- character is David Rose because. Mm-hmm. He absolutely steals every scene he's in before he even speaks, just with his mannerisms and his head tilt and all that. Uh-huh. But then the minute Moira opens her mouth, she's my favorite character. This is Alexis's world. It's Alexis's world. We're all just living in. It's incredible because you guys in, in 10 seconds just said three different names. And each time I 100% agreed with you and would have unwaveringly <laughs> argued for each exactly. character. It's, it's a remarkable show. I'm so glad yeah. this is where we started. There's a deeper game we could play of like, let's put a South Florida athlete with every Shits Creek character. Oh boy! Not like with them. I'm saying like, who's the of the sports Florida landscape? Who's the David? Who's the only one that I know for sure is that Jimmy Butler is David Rose, just from the facial expressions. It's all about the facial expressions. He he is the most memeable athlete that's ever existed, and it's all from the facial expressions. So that that that's where we can start, and we can always kind of come is, back another is time. Is Dwayne with like style? Is Dwayne Wade Moira? Like, or could like, you I'm just thinking style? Or could you argue Dwayne Wade's Johnny with those nice tight suits, you know, and keeping everybody oh, together? Yeah. The 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 patriarch of, or mm-hmm. I guess that's where Pat Riley might be Johnny. So yeah. yes, you know, this is this game is easier than I thought. This is fun. <laughs> there's Look too at many us. options. Yeah, Pat Riley's got to be uh, got to be Johnny Rose. It's there's perfect. no question about that. <laughs> Jeremy Taché. We're going to switch uh, from uh, Johnny Rose to the Johnny Rose of the NBA, Pat Riley, because he reaffirmed his magic, I thought, on trade deadline day when he got Victor Oladipo for nothing, essentially, Mm -hmm. as far as I could tell. Peanuts! (laughs) Look, he he gets a 20-point score. You know, everybody's focused on, oh, he didn't get Kyle Lowry. Well, good, because he would have had to give up Tyler Hero. So he gets um, a a 20-point scorer, gets to keep Hero and Duncan Robinson— I, I just think it was uh, a brilliant move by Riley. What did you think? Yeah, I thought yesterday was masterful from the Heat and and their ability constantly to sort of turn scraps into gold is is something that's miraculous, whether that's developing second round talent into playable guys and rotation players or even, you know, future $20 million players like they've done with, you know, Josh Richardson and now Duncan Robinson and and the list goes on and on of players like that. 
but the ability to take rotation players who at the beginning of the year going into the season, there was a conversation about both Avery Bradley and Mo Harkless starting for the Miami Heat, right? That we right. both thought, oh, perfect. Avery Bradley plugs in as a defensive two and Mo Harkless fills the Jay Crowder role. They both didn't work out, and yet somehow to turn that along with Chris Silva, another you know undrafted guy that they developed themselves, and Kelly Olynyk, who was the last of the contracts given out in 2017, to, to turn that into Victor Oladipo and Nemanja Bialica, who really replaces Kelly as that sniper stretch four, to me, it was a a perfectly executed day from Riley and company. Like I, I think the team got significantly better. Yeah, and, and Oladipo is in his prime. He's going to be very good in this league, mm-hmm. way beyond when um, Kyle Lowry is. And I also think that Oladipo is a guy who really wants to be here. I mean, he's going to sign an extension. Uh, I think he's going to be a real player for this team in a major way uh, for the foreseeable future. And, um, you know, he's, he's like Butler. He's going to be one of those uh, veterans who's good with uh, the Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero transition you know when when it when the heat become their team you're still going to have guys like Oladipo and Butler uh who are a huge part of it yeah I mean I think uh you make a good point Greg of the value that Victor Oladipo has in terms of being that veteran presence and what's really special about Oladipo too is he's cut from that Dwayne Wade cloth right like he modeled his game after Dwayne Wade he grew up watching Dwayne Wade he played for the same coach as Dwayne Wade in college for playing for Tom Crean at Indiana, the former Marquette coach who coached both Butler and Wade. So there's all these tie-ins of that sort of, you know, two-way player, heat culture, all that stuff that we love to talk about. It's right there. And for them, again, to be able to get him for almost nothing, see what, what he is at this point in his career within their squad before evaluating whether or not to bring him in as a free agent, it's gigantic. Sports fans have changed over the years as to what really interests us. You know, when I was growing up, it was the game. Sports fans talked about the game and the result and who just won. Now it, it's it's less about the game as it is about who's available in free agency, who are we going to draft, uh, who's in trouble off the field. There's so much going on beyond just the name. Why are you calling me? Because I thought it was funny that you have your phone on, and I wanted to like just Wallace. sabotage you. What's going Wallace. on here? <laughs> to finally be on one of these zooms where this happens, it's it, I, for everyone listening. It's as wonderful. It's as wonderful as it seems when you're listening to the show. It's see, just see, this perfect. is this is unfair. I finally, I finally survive and outlive the hard network out on the Levitard show, <laughs> and, and they my find own a new son. Thing. My own son on my own podcast sabotages me oh, with a phone to remind me that I had. What were you talking about? Phone. What was I saying? <laughs> well, Jeremy, uh, I want you to yourself. say something um, uh, really profound and intelligent, so I can follow it up by saying "touche, tache." Here, so I'll I'll compound. First of all, I love the pun. Second of all, I'll compound <laughs> off what you were saying about the off season. My growing up, I'm, you know, I'm 25 years old. So for me, growing up. Fantasy sports have been involved in my life since I was a little kid, and so have sports video games, right? And so building franchises in sports video games, oftentimes 
the more fun part of that was assembling oh, the love team it. in the offseason, oh, right? Love it. The, drafts, the drafts, yes. the you know, evaluating free agents, figuring out where you're gonna, you know, fit holes within your roster. And so, like this generation has sort of grown up thinking that we know how to do this stuff. And then you add social media where we can all have these conversations and just float opinions that have no repercussions whatsoever about right. what we think should happen. That's why everybody's become obsessed with it. And then, you know, on talk radio or podcasts or whatever it might be, we all just sort of fill into that because we know that that's what everybody wants to hear about. So in some ways, breaking down what's going to happen in the off season is more, it's, 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 it's a game in itself. It's, it's, it's part of what we've grown up with and thinking about the game in general. Dad, do you want to say the thing? Touche, Touche. My dad actually used to make fun of me because I got so good at Madden at one point that I'm like, I could be an offensive coordinator. I, like if, if all my if my only job that I needed to do in the NFL was call plays, I'm your guy. Give me a Madden playbook. Give me give me Chip Kelly's oh. Oregon playbook from NCAA 2014, oh. and I'm running it. I'm scoring 60 points a game in the NFL. So many halfback screens. Absolutely. I am going to do so many halfback screens. They work every time. Read option because every single time it's obvious who's going to commit one way or another. <laughs> My dad's like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about with these <laughs> well, you know, I'm, whippersnapper I'm, video games. I have never played Madden in my life. Ten minutes before we got on Zoom, I was finish, literally finishing a game of Ms. Pac-Man in my game room. That's, to me, a video game is Ms. Pac-Man. That is perfect. On brand. First world problems there, too. I love it. I want to, before we get you out of here, I want to touch on the Marlins. Yeah. Uh, are you still with Swings and Mishes, and, and yes. are you going to be covering the Marlins this year? Yes. Well, I, I know you're going to be covering them for Bally. Sports Florida, but I'm just saying, like, are you still doing swings and misses? Yes, I will be doing, I will be covering the Marlins uh, from multiple different angles. I'll still be working with Craig on swings and misses, and then I will be doing the digital side for Valley Sports Florida as well. And what is your realistic expectations of this team? Because they make the playoffs in a 60-game season. Everybody is kind of saying it's a fluke, but people do acknowledge that Jeter has improved and Dembo have improved this farm mm -hmm. system. So what do you see as just this team's ceiling? So I, I think... If you're asking for a ceiling, the ceiling could be the playoffs. I, I don't see right. why why saying that they, I don't see why you would say that they couldn't make the playoffs. But mm -hmm. when you're playing in the NL East, uh, that's going to be a lot tougher. The, the, it's the NL East is the best division in baseball, more yeah. likely than not. When you look up and down the rosters of all of the other teams, particularly with the free agents that were added this off season, it's a loaded division, and that makes it really difficult for a young team. That said, Marlins like aren't that young uh in terms of their starting lineup right like they have a bunch of pretty good veteran bats starling Marte is a very very good baseball player adam duvall is a very good power hitter jesus aguilar and garrett cooper also are are 30 to 40 home run guys if given you know 150 I, I games so. well no it, <laughs> they're not going to play that much anymore but the type of power that they have is that they're both going to split time, whether that be Cooper and right field sometimes and sometimes at first and Aguiar, the Marlins are really hurt more than most teams by not having the DH, just the way that their roster is constructed. But the young pitching that they have um, at this point, you know that Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara are legitimate studs. Like they are legitimate one and two starters. I feel like we know Sandy's a stud. I don't know if I'm prepared to say that I know Pablo Lopez is a stud. I, and I'm with fair. you. He had a great year last year. No, but and that's fair. And it was only over a 60 game sample, right? So it was only so many starts. And the year before we saw Pablo get hurt. So I understand that Sixto though, but right. Yes. But then you add Sixto Sanchez and, and for him to be really your third starter, 
You also have then Eliezer Hernandez, who had a great season last mm -hmm. year, and everybody kind of forgets because he got hurt mm -hmm. at the end of the year. And then on, on that back end, I love Nick Nider. Trevor Rogers is a flamethrower as a lefty, a big boy. He's grown a lot in the offseason. Don Mattingly literally said that when he watched Trevor Rogers walk in for the first time after the offseason, that he just noticed his neck just being bigger because he's he was a kid he was a lanky yeah. kid he's like six four he's massive a lid um a <laughs> lid uh but <laughs> but he you know so i think between that a revamped bullpen and a starting lineup that when you look one through nine is actually a pretty solid starting lineup i think that the, the x factor that if the marlins are going to to reach their ceiling jazz chisholm J oh, jazz chisholm okay. Uh, looks like he's going to win the second base job over Isan Diaz. Uh, he will split some time with John Birdie, but 30, 30 guy. He's, he's a 30, 30 tools guy. So he's the type of player yes. that that one's not me. That one's not me. God dad, get your shit together. Oh, the landline. <laughs> it's perfect. The, so the, uh, with jazz Chisholm, I think the thing that, that the reason I say that, that he's the guy that theoretically could put them over the top is that second base was a hole for the Marlins last season, mm -hmm. right? It was filled by John Birdie throughout, but Isan Diaz struggled and then he opted out, um, you know, and, and, and so I think with the Marlins having a player like jazz that can steal bases in the lineup every day, that also has power. It's what Marlins fans hoped they would be getting from Monte Harrison at the start of last year. And then mm -hmm. Monte struggled. But to have a player in the lineup who right now there's no pressure on because of all the veterans at the top of the order, ultimately, I think Jazz could be this team's leadoff hitter um, if, he, if he produces the way that his talent indicates he can. And he's the hand-selected guy by Derek Jeter. Like, they traded Zach Gallen, who <laughs> right now looks, looks like he, you know, he just got hurt but could be a Cy Young candidate. Straight yeah. up for Jazz Chisholm because Jeter and company said, this guy's our shortstop of the future, and he looks like he'll be the starting second baseman. So if they're going to overachieve, it will be because guys like Jazz overachieve. Inspired um, uh, by what you've just said, Jeremy, I'm going to write a column. Here tailored, comes a bad joke. Here comes a bad tailored joke. Tailored to the headline, Marlins to play jazz, comma, music to fans' ears. I Yes, do it. Headline. <laughs> I'm in. I love it. I'm a right. pun guy. So for me, that's, that's perfect. A pie. Now... I, I will say, and we're going to let you go, I, I, I will say that your optimism about the Marlins is actually refreshing, and I'm serious about that, because the, the thought seems to be, not because they've regressed, but because the other three teams... It's uh, a tough division, man. Yeah, I, I, I loved everything Jeremy said, but it's just going to be so hard. They could, Look, yeah, they could be improved and finish fourth in the division. Absolutely. absolutely. No, and that's that's a reality. They they could be better this season than they were last season and come in last place in the NL East because the NL Correct. East is that good. They could be a better right. baseball team and still come in last. So the optimism that I'm projecting has less to do with the wins and losses and more to do with the fact that this is a well-assembled baseball team. Like that bullpen yep. is put together better than it was at the start of last season. The starters, you know, you can rely on in a way that you didn't last season. And they filled holes within the lineup that existed last season as well. So it's just like the Heat, right? I'd make the argument right now, the Heat roster is better today than it was at the end of last season. Well, they went to the finals. There's no guarantee the Heat go to the finals this season, despite having a better roster. So the Marlins do look like a better team with one more year under the belt of the young players, with other veterans added. 
that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win 100 games. It just means that they're, they're going to be a fun baseball team to watch, hopefully. Yeah, and Marlins fans can feel good about the, the future, which uh, mm-hmm. hasn't been said very often in, in the past uh, lot of years. Yeah, it's been a while. So, Jeremy, um, thanks for your uh, maiden voyage on our uh, modest little podcast here. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys for having me. This is, this is pretty cool. I really, really appreciate it. Okay, thanks to Jeremy Tache. And now, back to Mount Gregmore. And we say back to because we skipped Mount Gregmore last week. But we've had so much fun with two interviews that we have to hurry this Mount Gregmore. And ironically, uh, it's a long one. So uh, I don't know if we can hurry it or not. But Speed it up! It's the latest edition of Mount Gregmore, the weekly list that kicks the ass of Mount Rushmore. And today, we feature March Madness by bringing you the Mount Gregmore of our favorite nicknames of teams in the 2021 men's NCAA tournament. Okay. Yeah, we, we sought out nicknames that were off the beaten path, different, fun, weird. So, first, our honorable mention. This New York school's first sports teams were nicknamed the Alleghenies and Brownies, and later called the Brown Indians in honor of the Seneca tribe. When Native American imagery became politically incorrect, the current nickname was adopted. We love it because it reminds us of one of our relatives, the St. Bonaventure Bonnies, the Aunt Bonnies. Hey, I have an Aunt Bonnie. That's right. And now, number five. When this Phoenix area school opened in 1949, the mascot and nickname were chosen in a vote by students, and they picked this fleet, elegant herbivore capable of running up to 45 miles an hour. Quick fact, this team was coached by former Heat player Dan Marley until he was fired in March of last year. It's the Grand Canyon Antelopes. Nice. Number four. This is the only school in the country with this nickname, but it didn't start out that way. Its teams were first called the Maroon and Gold and later the Grandees, but that didn't catch on. The current nickname was born in 1926 because the football team at the time was one of the first to travel all over the country to play. We love the name because it reminds us of the American compact car sold from 1958 to 69, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers. I'm kind of confused what this is. Like, is this just your favorite of these names left? Yep, these are my favorite team nicknames of the original 68 teams in the NCAA tournament, okay? We've we've gone from uh, Bonnies to Antelopes to Ramblers, and now, we number should, three. We should probably spitball like what these topics are going to be. <laughs> yeah. Number three. This California school was nicknamed Roadrunners, but that changed in 1936. Inspired by a 1927 film starring heartthrob Douglas Fairbanks as an Argentine cowboy, the school's female population led a drive to change the name. The movie was called Gaucho. It's why they're the UC Santa Barbara Gauchos. Now, that's an interesting fact. You probably don't even remember Douglas Fairbanks. I don't either, but I do remember the name. Number two. This private New York Catholic college is nicknamed after people of Irish Gaelic heritage in the Irish tradition of the school city. The school motto is Serta Bonum Sertamen, or Fight the Good Fight. So these are sort of the fighting Irish, but with a less direct approach. It's the Iona Gales. And now, (laughs) number one, students at this school in Washington, D.C. 
once were required to study Greek and Latin. The team nickname at the time was the Stonewalls. Lore has it that a student using Greek and Latin terms started the cheer Hoya Saxa, which translates to what rocks. The chant proved popular, and in time all the teams at Georgetown were called Hoyas. Did you look up the origins to all 68 nicknames? Uh, no, what I did was I, I went over the 68 teams and I picked out the, the 10 nicknames that interested me. You know, not the usual run-of-the-mill nicknames, but ones that were a little different, and then I researched them. So, thanks again to our Mount Gregmore staff for another fun and educational installment. What will next week's category be? You never know, so check back and find out. Was that fun? I think so. If it wasn't, see, here, here's what happens with Mount Gregmore. If it isn't fun, then I call it educational. And if it isn't particularly educational, then I call it fun. It sort of has to be one or the other, right? So let's, uh, let's put a bow on this episode. It's been jam-packed. We talked more sports than usual, more Miami sports than usual. Had a, a, a heartfelt tribute to Howard Schnellenberger, R.I.P., to the great one. And um, uh, thanks again to our guests, Mike Jack, the insane pepper eater, and Jeremy Taché of Valley Fox Sports. And mostly, as always, podcast family, thanks to you. Uh, you in particular. Not you, you. Yes, you. Specifically you. If I'm in your ear right now, I'm talking to you, and I'm thanking you. Bye-bye. Rate, review, subscribe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do all that. Like he said, listen, rate, review, subscribe, and tell all your friends. Unless you didn't like the podcast, then keep it to yourself.